Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Let Fear Bounce. This is Kim Langling, your host. Thank you so much for joining me. I also want to thank my sponsor, Michelle O'Neill of Mastering Your Monday LLC. She is a published author, speaker, and lifestyle balance coach who has been creating and developing her signature MAT technique for over 28 years. She helps others create balance and curate their life flow for success in their lives without sacrifice. She can help you master your every day like it's Monday. You can find her at MasterYourMonday.com. Now, grab that cup of coffee, sit back, relax, and let's get on with the show. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to Let Fear Bounce. This is Kim Langling, your host. So glad that you are joining us once again for another episode. Today, I have with me the beautiful Allison Pena. <laughs> uh, folks, I'm struggling with her last name, which is silly, and it's it's a four-letter last name, and I shouldn't be having such a tough time. Anyway, I'm welcoming Allison in with me today on Let Fear Bounce. She's known as the Bad Widow. She supports clients to tap into their innate resilience and take back their lives after loss with time-tested insights and strategies. After the heartbreaking loss of her husband to pancreatic cancer, Allison designed new ways to re-engage, reinvent, and rebuild back to life, work, and even love. Welcome, welcome, Allison, to Let Fear Bounce. I'm so glad that you are my guest today. Thank you so much, Kim. And sorry, I don't, I, I don't know why I'm struggling with your last name. It's really not that hard, so I apologize for that. Allison Penna. Penna, yeah. I don't even know what I said. <laughs> But as I said off, off mic before we started recording, I said, you know what? We just keep it real. And I, I say that because it's usually me who's being such a doofus or a dork and messing stuff up. <laughs> so, Allison, I want to toss out a question at you, and we're just going to roll with it. Now, you've got quite a story behind those few sentences that I read. Um, so I'm going to ask you to start at whatever point in your journey you want to share with our listeners. Okay. Um, my husband, I was with my husband for 25 years. We missed our 20th wedding anniversary by three weeks. Oh. In 2015, he was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. And I guess relevant to, to your, the name of your show, Let Fear Bounce, we decided not to do, we, we, he chose the chemo, he chose all of that. But beyond that, we decided not to slow down, not to reduce our lives. Because our feeling was, why not live full tilt boogie till the end? Right. Why not reprioritize and do what we loved? Why not stop putting off the stuff on our bucket lists? And so he finished his last commission painting the Thursday before the Saturday he died in my arms at home. Oh, wow. Yep. And on my bucket list, I had wanted to speak about the work that I do and to sing on cab in cabaret shows as part of a group cabaret. And I had been wanting to do that for 10 years. In the course of the 11 months when he was, before he died, I spoke on three stages and sang on four. Wow. 
Yeah. I bet, I bet he was probably just glowing watching you. He was. And the last one was the Tuesday before he died. And he shoved me out the door. I had my mom over to hang out with him and make sure he had what he needed. And I sang, um, a lot of the singing, singing is really good for moving emotions through the body. Mm -hmm. And as a caregiver and as a widow, it's really important that all those emotions not get stuck. It's fear, grief, anger, and shame. And so um, the songs that I sung, the songs that I chose to sing were ones that reminded me that I wasn't just a caregiver and I wouldn't be just a widow. So I sang... I will survive. Yep. Gloria Gaynor. Mm -hmm. I sang Everybody Says Don't, which is about all the things people were telling me I couldn't do. Oh, you can't have him die at home. You have to put him in the hospital. You have to do this. You have to do that. And that has happened before and after he died as a widow. No, you can't do this. And I, would I, I want, I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt there just for a second that, that every, everything that everybody says that you can't do, or you shouldn't do, or don't do. It's such a personal thing that you and your husband were going through so intensely personal. Yes. I've, I've, I've often wondered why people feel that they should say what you can and can't do or what you should and shouldn't. And I think it might, it might just be because of their level of discomfort yes and they're not in your shoes so they can't possibly know the intricacies that you and your husband talked about how you felt about certain things and how you decided to take that journey you know exactly. and the way that the way that you described that you did it i to me it just sounds like such a blessing that you and your husband talked about it discussed it and said, this is what we, the two of us as a couple are going to do. And this is how we're going to face this journey. What a blessing that you were able to do that and put it into action on your terms and on his terms. That's the way it should be. So, you know, God bless you for that. That it, my heart is just overflowing right now that you guys did that. And I, I personally am never one that would ever say, you shouldn't do that. Or do you really think, or maybe you should, you know, oh my goodness, such a personal journey. That is your guys's journey to travel. Exactly. And, and really it was from a good place that people said these things because yeah. they wanted to, to ease our pain. They wanted to make it easier. So I didn't fault them for saying it. Mm-hmm. There were those who insisted that their way was the right way. And that wasn't okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't really okay. So at the end, I knew it was the last day because on my Pandora, the theme song from Ghost came on. Oh. And I was like, wow, this is it. This is it. Yeah, you just knew. And I was holding him in my arms and he took four breaths and he left. It sounds, it sounds like he went gently. Very gently into that good night. Very gently. Beautiful. And without fear. 
you know, and then I was a widow. You know, you have this life planned out. When you, when you marry someone, you begin to create dreams together. And so we had this dream, you know, we'll, we'll go to the end of our lives together. Then it will be over, but we'll travel that journey all the way together. We were together 25 years, so it was close to half my life anyway. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't think that we would face till death do us part halfway through my life and halfway through his. Right. We thought we'd have more time. But then what I had to face was there, the time was out, you know, and then I had to figure out who I was. And it's really natural when you experience that kind of a heartbreak where it literally feels like your heart is shards of glass inside your chest scratching against each other. It feels like that. And so immediately afterwards, there are some really practical things which happen. I had memory gaps you could drive a truck through. So I could not remember if I thought of being hungry, I had five seconds to get to the kitchen before I forgot again. So I put baskets of food around the house so I would have a visual reminder as well. Mm -hmm. uh, my energy flagged. So I couldn't reach out to people, connect with people. I just didn't have the energy for it. And I had the attention span of a fruit fly. So I was a consultant who couldn't talk to people. The other things I was trained for, I was a proofreader who couldn't remember for five seconds, much less from one end of a 350 page document to the other. And so nothing I was qualified for could I do. No one typically offers grief training prior to the event happening. You know, right. you just, you know, and I've not been in your shoes, so I'm certainly not even going to pretend to understand your personal space. I just know when I've lost loved ones, that that memory gap completely understand not eating completely understand because yep. you just don't think about it you're not hungry and you forget you know you're, oh did i eat should i eat uh, i don't feel like it. it's too much energy you know i i i can understand those those feelings i've had them myself um so did you find yourself because all of a sudden you're a widow that's a whole different life and like you had said one that was not planned how long did you stay in that space were you there for quite some time i could imagine so the first year was a wasteland of grief yeah where i was numb and just trying to get through the day and the second year was zero to rage in five seconds both of which are really hard to be around really oh. hard to be around there's this notion that that's controllable and it actually isn't bursting into tears was not something i could necessarily control whether or not it made other people uncomfortable um and then did you start to feel and i you know and i've talked to people and i know i've felt it myself that you feel like you know i can't even talk about what i'm going through because to other people it's like well it's been a year it's been two years 
And so you feel, or I'm in general. Yeah, yeah. You feel like, well, I, you know, I really can't even talk about it to them anymore because they're sick of hearing me about it, listening to me talk about it, or my grief is so uncomfortable to them, they don't even want to be around me anymore. Yes. Yes to all <laughs> that. So I have a friend who said that there, she had kind of A-tier people, B-tier people, and C-tier people. And she thought the A-tier people would step up and some of them vanished. Yeah. And she thought the C tier people wouldn't, and some of them rose up. So you don't know. It really has to do with how comfortable people are with their own mortality. With the fact that, I mean, I can't even tell you how many times I said to people, there are three guarantees I can make you. You will be a caregiver for someone you love. You will have someone you love die, and you will die yourself. Guarantee. Yep guaranteed and time after time people said oh wow i never thought about it like that <laughs> isn't that amazing it's isn't astonishing that... i i find that amazing because i've i've found people that have said the same thing you know and i'm always thinking well did you think that you were exempt exactly you know and if you thought so why <laughs> Exactly. You know, how did you come to that conclusion? Because no one is exempt. No one is exempt. Exactly. Right. And in this last year, there's been, it's been so much in our face, our mortality as human beings. And so there's this massive wave of grief from all the losses that we've been through because there are very few people who haven't been touched. Right. Might not be a spouse but very few people have not been touched. What I do with my work is basically take people through how I came back. First, I had to re-engage. I couldn't consult. I couldn't proofread. I couldn't medical edit. So I had a friend who was a widow who was willing for me to work two four-hour shifts because I didn't have eight hours in me in her Halloween pop-up store. Because I could hang costumes and it wasn't where I wanted to wind up, but it was where I could start. So I guess the first thing that I would say is baby steps are to be celebrated. Because if all you've got in you is a baby step, congratulations. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that can be used for so many different types of trauma in life. Exactly. You know, don't look at yourself as a failure because you didn't get to where you thought you should be. You took a step. Yes. That's one more step than you took the day before. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love that. Love that. And, so you and, re-engaged and you find your, yourself on this first baby step. Where'd you go from there? So the, the first baby step, what, what I was trying to do was give, it, give myself a different view. One of the things that happened for me was that I had stopped trusting myself, my relationships and the world. This thing happened that I had no control over. And it felt shameful that I couldn't stop it. I couldn't keep him alive. I fought so hard, but I, he died. Yeah. He died. After that, the next thing I had to do was I had to reinvent myself because 
we were together for 25 years and in 25 years, you're a we, not a you. You know, there are so many things, especially at the beginning of a relationship that you go, well, he really wants to do that and I don't mind, so I'm gonna go along. Or he doesn't like to do that, so I'm just gonna do less of it, mm-hmm. even though I love it. And then those things get set in stone and they continue the life of the relationship. So I no longer knew who I was as an I, and I had to figure it out. What kind of people did I like being around? What kind of activities did I enjoy? And I began this process of questioning everything. Do I like this that I used to do with him? No, not so much. I'm going to stop that. Do I want to take back? I do open mic singing. I write poetry. My mom and I brainstorm our original poems with each other. And I'm in the middle of writing a book that she is helping me to edit called The Bad Widow Guide to Life After Loss. Love it. Love yep. it. Yep. Ah, okay. I'm an author myself. So when I hear that someone has a book in them and they're planning on getting it out in the world, I get so excited. Super. And it, sound, it sounds wonderful. Give us the name of it again. The name of what it's going to be again. Uh, the first piece of it is The Bad Widow Guide to Life After Loss. And then there's going to be a second part, which I haven't figured out yet. So the first part is set. Sounds awesome. I, I have to ask. <laughs> yeah. The name Bad Widow. Yes. Where, where did that come from? Because it's certainly attention grabbing. <laughs> well, exactly. Um, <laughs> after I became a widow, what I discovered is that one, this conversation about how we grieve and the white, right way to grieve and how long we're allowed to grieve is not talked about. It used to be you don't talk about sex and you don't talk about money. Now you don't talk about grief and you don't talk about death. Not in any authentic way. Right, right. You can talk about decluttering. You can talk about uh, handling your finances afterwards. But the real raw stuff, people don't talk about typically. And so Bad Widow was um, not being willing to just go along. If someone said something that didn't work for me, I would challenge it. I would say, well, that's not actually the most effective way to ask that question. This would be better. So for example, in that first year, people would say, how are you? And I would think, well, I lost the man I love for 25 years. I'm looking at this wasteland of grief. I cannot see my own future. How do you think I am? But if they asked, how are you today? Or how are you right now? I could answer that. It was limited enough that I could answer it. And so Bad Widow was about correcting all the assumptions and being willing to challenge them. And I get a lot of pushback, but you're a nice widow. Don't call yourself that. Yeah, they're not, they're not getting it. They're not getting it. Yeah. And I've had people say that's a very bad name. It doesn't explain what you do, except what it does is it opens the door. Because I can't even tell you how often someone says, why are you a bad widow? And then I can explain. 
Now, see, my first thought when I read that, The Bad Widow, my very first thought was, she's doing things her own way. Exactly. It was never, and, and that's because that's how my mindset is. That's how I am. Yep. And I, I get questions and pushback when I've been in certain traumatic circumstances or something life-altering has happened. I have very well-meaning people telling me exactly what they think I should do. And I always say, but are you in my shoes? Yes. Is that what would be best for you or what you think is actually best for me? Because I actually do know. I might be a little off right now. Like you said, you know, the short attention span and all these other things. But I do know what's best for me personally. Yep. So when I first read that, The Bad Widow, that was my first gut instinct. She's doing things her own way. And I was like, you know, yay, hands in the air, yay. So that was, yeah, I, I love it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it's kind of funny, a, a little bit off topic, but I've been this way for a while. When I was about three, I had this nurse and she was complaining to my mother. She said, that one, if you threw her in a stream, she'd swim up. <laughs> so I'm like, well, not much has changed. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you said that one. <laughs> right, exactly. exactly. That child right there is going to cause you, <laughs> cause you some grief. <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, so the reinvent was, you know, what do I like? What are my priorities? Are they the same as they were before or am I taking a different direction? Mm -hmm. And I began figuring it out because I didn't trust myself. And, and just to come back to your point about people giving advice, because I didn't trust myself, into that people poured their ideas and advice and all of that to try and help me. Yeah. And I needed to be clear enough about the boundaries I had to set or give myself enough time to think about it that I could be true to myself. Because if I took their advice, I had to live with the consequences of that advice. So if it was the wrong advice for me, then I was going down a really bad path. Right, right. And when I came back, the, the distrust in my body was so profound that when I decided to start dating, if anyone touched me, tried to put an arm around my waist, around my shoulders. I literally had a visceral experience of revulsion because my body chemistry was attuned to the man I had been with for 25 years. Right, right. And I had to press through those, you know, you're taught to trust your body. You're taught to trust your mind, except I couldn't. And so that was, again, a process of who am I? What do I want in this situation? And when I would have these reactions, I would have to ask myself, is it me, is it him, or is it us? And then I knew what to do next. Right. So you had, you, you, was this something that just came to you? You know, you said you question yourself all the time. And I don't want the listeners to get the wrong impression. You're questioning your, your, you know, decisions. No, you're actually questioning yourself. 
do I want this? Do I want this? Can yes, I, can I have this or can I do this? And because there's a big difference, there's a big difference there. You know, when you, when you say you're questioning yourself, you're not questioning your decision-making, you're questioning yourself to figure out you're making a new path. Exactly. I mean, I need to figure out who I was as an I instead of a we. Yeah. That's a tough one. That was different. That was very different. And nobody talks about that. You're and, right. And you are right. No one does. Yep. And then the next thing that happened was in the second year, people vanish more than did in the first year because they're, they're thinking it's been a year. You're over it, right? Right. But you're not over it. And so the third piece of what I do with people is I help them rebuild their networks. What I discovered, I mean, my need was so big and typically we think of networks as for business referrals mm -hmm. or we exist in networks in all aspects of our lives sure and when my husband went if you think about someone who's that central there were so many holes in my support to be filled and we wait for somebody to rise up into those places by default you're but right. are they the right person? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what I, I work with is clarity. You know, who do I need for what? Do I need people to go to certain exercise classes with me? Do I need people who like to go out for drinks? Do I need people who love museums? Do I need, what do I need? And then who are the people who fill those spots? Yeah, finding the right people, well, finding your right tribe. You're, it's almost, and, and and please don't take this in any negative way, but so much of this is really comparable to when someone goes through a divorce. Exactly. Because there, you know, there's the whole grieving process, the loss, then, you know, who am I? Who yeah. am I as this I instead of we? And um, I, I've talked to quite a few folks that have gone through really traumatic divorces and so much of what you're saying resonates with what they were saying, how they had to start this new path and they had to build a new community around them because so many people that they thought they were close with and thought were friends did slowly disappear yep. over a time frame of one to two years until they were just like, it was as if they never knew you. So yeah. did you, did you find yourself questioning yourself on that? Like, well, why aren't they around anymore? Or what did I do? Did you have any of that negative self-talk going on within you when, when they seem to just kind of gradually continue to disappear? No, it was very clear to me what was happening. I mean, they either couldn't deal with their own mortality mm -hmm. or my grieving process was too much. The depth of it or went on for too long. And they, they couldn't sustain it. They couldn't be there for me at that level. Now, I mean, there are things you can do. You can move them down to a lower point in your network of support. But if you were counting the, on them for a big piece and suddenly they're not able to do that, then somebody needs to step into that spot. And so these were really practical things. What I, how I came to this 
is that I kept tripping over things that were going wrong in my life after he died, things that were confusing and, and not trusting myself was huge. You know, if you can't trust your own body and your own mind, if you can't trust your ability to make decisions, because if you have someone who has your back, there's you and then they're backing you up. Right. And when that's gone, I had no idea how profound that would be. And, you know, and I don't, I don't think anyone would because it's such a personal experience. Yes. You know, and that's when you feel like you are literally on your own. I mean, I've often said, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm just somebody tossed me in a boat, put me out on the water without any oars or anything. And I'm just floating and I have no idea what direction I'm going to end up going. Exactly. I, I always get these like mental, you know, images. That's how my brain works. And that's how, how I've seen myself at times in my life where I'm just, I'm floating in this boat, a lifeboat. Always, it's always a lifeboat. Right. And you're just swirling, you know, going with the, the current or the waves or whatever, because you're not able to, you're not able to guide yourself at that time. And if you don't have that support, yep. you know, from people that are strong enough to not say, ah, she's too much. She's too much. Yep. And you, you hear that a lot. Too much. Those two words, too much. Too much. Yep. And I always think, you know what? No one is too much. You're not too much. You're, you are just enough. And you're in the spot that you are at in your life right now. I personally might not be able to help you, but I'm acknowledging and I'm recognizing and saying, I see you. I'm not leaving you in the dark or leaving you to float in your lifeboat all on your own. I might not be able to help, but I will certainly acknowledge, I see you. I see your hurt. I see where you're at right now in that dark spot. Sometimes just acknowledgement. Makes a difference. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. Did you find that people, they might not be very active in your life, but they acknowledge did you have that from people saying, hey, you know, I, I see your hurt and I empathize with it. I, I can't do anything to help you, but my heart certainly goes out to you. Yes, I absolutely had that. In, in my case, it was complicated by the fact that my husband was an artist and he left me a thousand paintings. My goodness. Yes. So there was the question of, there was, I live in New York, so apartment rent and studio rent until I could close it out. And then I brought the paintings home. So I live with close to a thousand paintings in my apartment. And so it, it was a physical space issue, but also an emotional space issue. I had his legacy and his idea was oh, you can sell it and support yourself, except from an emotional standpoint, it's taken me almost five years to get to the point where that was really possible. And that's okay. Exactly. Exactly. What, what a legacy. What a legacy. A thousand paintings. It's beautiful. Oh, I couldn't, I can't even imagine. What, what type of, what, what type of art did he do? What type of things did he paint? 
landscapes, cityscapes, portraits, seascapes. They're beautiful and nudes, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Which I, I discovered. Would, I would love. Do you have pictures of any of them? Oh, yeah. I have a whole gallery. Is there a website that you can see them or you just have them? Yeah, it's in a, it's on a, a gallery website. I can send you the link. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I want to definitely share that in the show notes. Awesome. If, if Yeah, if you're open to that, I'd love for, you know, hey, let let other people see his work. My goodness. Oh, they're so beautiful. And I am now ready to have them on other people's walls. But it certainly complicated things. You know, how did I make space for myself, physical, emotional, and how did I do my work, my legacy work, and not spend the rest of my life tending to his? And in terms of love, whoever took me had that to live with. And yeah, you, you were bringing with you extra weight. Exactly. Exactly. So I couldn't do someone who would be insecure <laughs> to see <laughs> right. my husband's legacy of work all over the apartment. And I live with my boyfriend, actually. Oh, okay. So he, apparently he's fine with it. <laughs> It was that in itself was quite the journey. It's in the book. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have plans on like a time frame of publishing? June. So you've got a publisher or are you going to self-publish? I'm going to self-publish because the timing of it is right here, right now. Resilience and grief are this moment need to be dealt with. Yeah. No, I understand. I'm all for self-publishing. You've got complete control of it. Exactly. Exactly. Once it's published, once it's out there and people can use the resources I'm providing, then I'll probably go to get a traditional publisher as well for the second edition mm -hmm. because this, this will be a bestseller and this will be in bookstores. Oh, I've no doubt it, because it's something that's needed. So needed. Yeah, you're filling a spot. There's probably all kinds of books and stuff out there on grief and this and that, but your approach to it is very different. Yes, is not the typical because there are, there's probably hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of books on grief, but your book isn't necessarily on grief. No, my book is about the appreciation that when you face loss, you get for life. We're really living full tilt boogie. So you're, you're, you're kind of given a, a roadmap navigating this totally different, unexpected life that you find yourself in. Exactly. And it's going to be an interesting book because it's stories and insights. I didn't want to do a book that was, here are the lessons I learned. Right, right. And here are the exercises you can yeah. do one two three a b c <laughs> i could have i could have but i want people to be known and seen to know that they're in the right place when they read my book to go oh wow that's happened to me i'm not actually crazy yeah because i'm not crazy that way <laughs> well and it's so easy when you're in that spot it's so easy to think Oh, I'm not the only one. 
Exactly. You know, or, you know, it's, or it's hard to imagine that you're not the only one. It's so easy to think, you know, you're in that bubble. You can't see past that. It's like this, it's like this, you're, you're behind this dark veil for so long. And it's like you're slogging through water that's neck deep. Yep. And everything is so heavy. And then all of a sudden this little spark comes and you're like, oh, it's not just me. Yep. So I think that is, um, and I think that is going to, this book that you've, you've done and you plan on uh, publishing in June. I, I just have this strong feeling it's going to be, it's going to be quite the spark that you are sharing with people. I mean, you're that little spark of light. Yep. Amazing. I think it's, I think it's a beautiful thing that you're doing and I'm, I'm looking forward to it coming out because I want to check it out and of course, refer, refer people. Hey, go buy it, get on Amazon <laughs> or wherever it's going to be. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. So where are, where would you say you're at right now as of today on your journey? I am continuing to have breakdowns that were caused by, you know, what happened while my husband was dying, what happened as a widow when I was at times completely incapacitated mm -hmm. and struggling to make money. So still coming back from all of that, still solving for the breakdowns that I continue to encounter. Mm -hmm. The thing that makes what I share powerful is that I went through every single step that I talk to other people about. Yeah. And, and so the purpose of this was not, Hey, I'm going to make this into something. It was for my own survival and for my own thriving, I need to find a solution for this problem. And then to help others, that's just yep. bonus. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because you, you know how tough that journey can be. And if you can soften it for someone else in the same situation, yep. you know, it's just, it's all part of, you know, be the good. Exactly. Yeah. Be the good you wish to see in the world. Exactly. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I this has been just an amazing conversation. Um, I could sit here and probably talk to you for another two to three hours. <laughs> as, as, as you talk, I write notes. And I told you before we started recording, I'm going to be taking notes. I have so many notes with so many additional questions. <laughs> but, you know, if you're open to it, I would absolutely love to have you on again. Fabulous. Um, because I want to hear more about the book. Okay. And, and the journey of how you started the book and how you, because June's not that far away. So midsummer, I want to talk to you again, because I want to hear about the book and the launch and what it's doing and what your plans are to expand on it. That is such exciting stuff. And I appreciate you being so open and honest. And, you know, when I just asked that, that question, where are you at now? You honestly said, I still break down. I still do this. I still do that. And it's just raw honesty. Not at one point did you say, you know, well, it's been so many years. So, oh, I'm doing okay. You just flat out said, I still break down. <laughs> you know? And I, I love that honesty. And that's going to, I know, is going to resonate with many of the listeners of Let Fear Bounce. And right. so I, I appreciate your time and your honesty and your heart. I just, it was a truly lovely conversation. So I do thank you for sharing your story. Um, definitely want to hear 
the continuation of your story in midsummer about this book of yours. Thank you. (laughs) One thing I want to ask you before we wrap up, what is, what is one, just one thing that our listeners, because there very well could be many listeners right now that are in the same spot or have been in the same spot that you are traveling that same journey. What's one thing that you can tell them to just start to just, you know, if you can get out of that bubble of darkness and you can start this, you can do this one thing, what would that be? I guess it would be celebrate your baby steps. Any movement is a right movement because it gives you a different viewpoint. Once you have a different view, you can take a different action. You can see more clearly. Love that. Celebrate the baby steps. And I know that we had mentioned that at the beginning of our conversation, but that's a perfect way to wrap it up. As a reminder, celebrate those baby steps, no matter what type of grieving that you might be going through or trauma or darkness that you're in, that can resonate with many people across the board. Celebrate those baby steps. All right, Allison, thank you so much for joining me on Let Fear Bounce. Truly was a lovely conversation and I am looking forward to talking to you again in a few months. Awesome, me too. (laughs) All right, have a wonderful day, dear heart. Thank you, you too. Thank you so much for spending a bit of your day with me and my guests here on Let Fear Bounce. As a reminder, folks, if you are looking for a way to get your own story out into the world through writing, please reach out to me. As an author, freelance writer, and collaborative book coordinator, I help folks just like you to get your stories into the world. One word and one story at a time. Let's change the world together, folks. Reach out to me at langlingauthor at gmail.com.